What a joy to be here this morning. Thank you, Pastor Steve, for allowing us to come and share what God is doing across West Africa. And uh, thank you for your wonderful hospitality. Love your missions board out here. Love the focus on missions that this church has had for many, many years. My privilege to have Becky with me this morning. Becky, if you want to stand and wave at these people. So you can put our family pick up. Now, I'm not quite sure why Becky married me at times, but there's a little African proverb that puts it all in perspective. It simply says this, Rawinga, Sansinki, which is in the Maori language, and means even an ugly man is better than a dead one. And so, there you have it. What else is there to be said? Thankfully, the three boys look like their mother. So, there's our three boys, Luke on the far side, Nathan, our second on this side, and Micah, in the middle, who just graduated from high school last year and is a freshman at Bioli University in Southern California. For the last 30 years, 33 years, we've been working in West Africa, and we've seen God do some wonderful things. We have been involved in helping plant new churches, training many African leaders in Senegal, and then in Togo, we served as the president of the West Africa Advanced School of Theology for 11 years training key African leaders from 22 different West and Central African countries. And then the last seven years, we've been back in Senegal, helping our West Africa missionary team focus on the unreached people groups of West Africa. One of them lives right in the city that we live in, Dakar, a city of about five to six million people. The Wolof people group are 5.5 million Wolof. There are less than 100 of them who are followers of Jesus Christ. Right now we have a team that's working in the northern side of the city of Dakar, believing for a breakthrough amongst the Wolof people. Would you believe with us that God's going to give us a breakthrough amongst the Wolof people? Surely he wants more than 100 Wolof in his eternal kingdom. Surely he wants to see thousands and even millions of Wolof turn to him, bow their knee and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. Let me take you to Africa for just a moment and give you a little bit of a report what God's been doing. The Assemblies of God have been doing missions in Africa since, actually, since 1908, when the first missionary left Azusa Street, went to Liberia, and then the Assemblies of God was started in 1914, and he had joined the Assemblies of God and brought those few churches in. But in 1939, which would have been about 25 years into our movement, there were 95 missionaries, 135 national workers, and about 13,000 believers in the missions effort of the Assemblies of God in Africa. Then in 1989, 50 years later, there were about 305 missionaries being sent by the Assemblies of God of USA. There were 9,500 pastors and about 11,800 churches. But we've seen exponential growth since then in the movement across Africa today, 2018, they're still about the same number of missionaries, 400 missionaries and missionary associates being sent from the American church to Africa. But there are 78,000 pastors, 80,000 churches, and over 18 million believers. Can somebody say praise the Lord? You've been investing, and God is bringing a great harvest. And I believe that we're right on the cusp of an incredible outpouring of God's Spirit across Africa. I just came from an Africa Assemblies of God Alliance meeting in the city of Accra two weeks ago. They're believing that in the next five years, we're going to go from 18 million to well over 25 million believers on the African continent. Hallelujah. 
Let me talk more specifically for just a moment about what God has been doing in West Africa. So let me take you to the country of Togo. And uh, I love this picture because it represents the Assemblies of God pastors in the country of Togo. Now, there are about 780 of them in that picture who marched in for an incredible celebration of 75 years of what God had done in the country of Togo. I remember going there as a child. I'm a missionary kid. In 1970, my parents landed in Lome, Togo, and at that time, the city was about 250,000 people. There was one Assemblies of God church in the city, very few other evangelical churches in the city. And if you went on a Sunday night, we had Sunday night services back then, there, there were about 30 people. It was a small church, but God has brought revival to the country of Togo. Today in the city of Lome, a city of about 800,000 people, there are 150 Assemblies of God churches with over 45,000 people who already attended church this morning. Praise God. In 1970, there were about 45 churches across the country. I just saw the general superintendent two weeks ago, Pastor Jacute Mitre, my good friend, and he told me that there are now 2,450 Assemblies of God churches in the country of Togo. Hallelujah for what God has done by his spirit. I can take you to Burkina Faso. Now, Burkina Faso is a special place in my heart because that's where I lived the first four years of my life. And so I began to learn to speak the Maori language and then had the joy of going back. Would you click on that video and play that for a minute? Maybe it won't. Maybe it won't play. Is there no video? Okay, the video didn't embed then. That's my bad, not your bad. So uh, this is just a little video of our latest Bible school in Burkina Faso. It's on the eastern side of Burkina Faso in a place called Bilanga. And if the video would have played, you would have seen these students singing in the Gudamanche language, rejoicing that they have found new life in Jesus Christ. But this church that has 4,500 Assemblies of God churches in Burkina Faso is getting ready to plant 3,000 new churches, and some of them on this eastern side. I met with the Bible school director, Pastor H.N. Chendano, and he told me, we've identified 500 villages on the eastern side of this country that have no church, no gospel presence. And in the next five to seven years, we're believing God that every one of those villages will have a church. Somebody say praise the Lord. That's revival that's happening. But there's still many unreached. Did you know there are 867 unreached people groups in Africa? That's why we go back and do missions. We've been serving for 33 years, but there's still a great task to accomplish. So God is calling us to go and be a part of bringing in the rest of those unreached people groups until every tribe, every nation has had an opportunity to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. This morning, for just a few moments, I want to talk about this question. What do your feet look like? What do your feet look like? look like. And I believe as followers of Jesus Christ, we're called to have beautiful feet times two. Beautiful feet times two. What do your feet look like? Now, spring is coming, but most of you are not wearing open-toed shoes, so I can't really tell what your feet look like. But Jesus calls us to be people who he declares have beautiful feet. Let's look at our text this morning, found in Romans chapter 10. 
Romans chapter 10. I'll begin reading with verse number nine. Here's what it says in the text. I think probably on the screen you have just beginning with verse number 13, but let me start with verse number nine to put us a bit more in context. Here's what the word of God says. But if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. The shame in this context is talking about separation from God. Everyone who believes in him will never be separated from God. Hallelujah. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then? Can they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how can they believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach or bring the good news. What do your feet look like? It's amazing to me as you read through the book of Acts that there are these key points where God asks his people to move out so that they can have beautiful feet. I'm always astonished every time I read the story in Acts chapter 8 of what God asked Philip to do. There's this great revival in Samaria there are miracles happening. People are getting saved. The disciples come down from Jerusalem. They lay their hands on them and they're baptized in the Holy Spirit. Doesn't say in Acts chapter 8, but we know they spoke in tongues because we're assemblies of God. And uh, the good things were happening. And in the middle of that, God says to Philip, I want you to leave the revival and walk out on a desert road. Now, it doesn't make logical sense. Why would you leave a revival where miracles are hap happening? I mean, there was banners up that said, everyone healed, come find your healing. And in the middle of that, God says to Philip, I want you to walk out on a desert road. He had to use his feet and go out on that desert road. And as he walks on the desert road, he encounters the Ethiopian eunuch who was up in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, and he was reading that passage that described Jesus' suffering, but he didn't have any clear understanding. But God sent Philip, empowered by the Holy Spirit, right at that moment to walk up to the chariot, and he began to explain to that Ethiopian eunuch what was going to happen. And he came to an understanding of who Jesus was. And then they saw a pool of water, and he said, can't I be baptized? And he gets baptized, and right at that moment, God takes Philip by his spirit and implants him someplace else. Now, my question is, Pastor, couldn't have God lifted Philip up the first time and dropped him right next to the Ethiopian eunuch? 
He did it after. Why couldn't he have done it before? Because God needed Philip's obedience. God needed Philip to go in obedience to the voice of the Spirit so God could declare about Philip that he had beautiful feet. If Philip hadn't gone, the Ethiopian eunuch would not have found faith. The Ethiopian eunuch went back to Ethiopia, and for many, many years in Ethiopia, there was a church. And then in the 1970s, God brought revival to that church, and today there are somewhere between five and six million Pentecostals in Ethiopia. Hallelujah. I believe it's a direct result of Philip's obedience. Philip heard the word of the Lord. He went and he obeyed and walked out on that desert road. God brought an encounter with the Ethiopian eunuch who then came to faith and made a transformation in the country of Ethiopia. God wants us to have beautiful feet. Every one of us in this room. But he wants us to have beautiful feet times two. Did you know that this last year, in the United States, there was $8.5 billion spent on the nail care industry. Did you know that? $8.5 billion for people to get manicures and pedicures. Now, I've never had one. Becky says they're good. I don't know. But my question is, what do your feet really look like? So let's look at some pictures of feet this morning. Now, Maybe some of your feet look like this, and you do need a pedicure. I mean, you've got some bad calluses on the back of your feet. They're dry, they're cracked, and you need a pedicure. And maybe we should send you after the service. I don't know. But maybe, you're, maybe you've got crooked toes. I don't know. You've been working hard, and your toes are kind of turned over, and they're a bit crooked. Maybe you have feet that look like this. I mean, henna has kind of become a big thing here, and, and you, maybe you have your feet are all nicely painted with henna, or, or maybe you've just come from a pedicure and they put a smiley face on your foot. I, I, I don't know. Or maybe you just have baby soft feet. But in reality this morning, we're not talking about physical feet because it doesn't cost you anything in a real sense for Jesus to declare that you have beautiful feet. So the $8.5 billion that was spent on nail care isn't really our concern this morning. Our concern is, does Jesus declare about each and every one of us that we have beautiful feet? Now, if we're serious, if we're serious about having and empowering others to have beautiful feet, we must deal with the four hows of Romans chapter 10, verse number 14. How can they call on the one they have not believed in? That's question number one. How can they call on the one they have not believed in? Now, my family's story was changed radically by a man by the name of David Olson. My father and my grandfather lived in a little place in Minnesota called Aiken, Northern Minnesota. I'm, I'm told that when you're in Aiken, you're aching to get away, and when you're away, you're aching to get back. Not sure it's true. It's cold. And, uh, but he was a farmer in Minnesota, but grew up in a very rough home. His father beat him numerous times, and at the age of 15, he ran away from home, became a cowboy in Montana. 
And when he heard that his father had died, he moved back to Minnesota. But he was a pagan. Drank a lot, swore a lot, beat up on people, beat up on things. And in the midst of that, God brought David Olson as a farmhand onto the farm in Aiken, Minnesota. And David began to tell my grandfather about Jesus Christ. My grandfather, knowing him, he swore at David numerous times, I'm sure. And in the middle of the winter, there was a revival in a little church that David attended in Aiken, Minnesota. And he began to ask my grandfather, won't you come and attend the revival? And my grandfather, I'm sure, swore at him some more. And then he appealed to my grandfather's pride because it was the early 1930s and my grandfather had some wonderful horses. And he said, wouldn't you take us to church in the snow in the sleigh with your horses? My grandfather couldn't refuse, so he loaded up people and he took them to the revival in this little church, but he refused to go in. He stood outside and it was cold. It was about negative 25, negative 30, and he'd stood outside and he was beating on himself to stay warm, but it got too cold and he finally ended up in the foyer. And when they gave the altar call, he went into the church to disrupt the altar call and the power of God hit him and he fell on his knees and he gave his life to Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Why? Because David Olson was faithful to share who Jesus was with my grandfather and Jesus declares that David Olson has beautiful feet. And my family's story changed because my father who was four at the time says, Your grandpa changed immediately. He went from beating his animals to being kind to his animals. He went from smoking packs of cigarettes every day to being delivered completely. And he finally went into the ministry and pastored a little church in Slayton, Minnesota. And then his three children, my father and my my uncle and aunt, went into ministry and began to win other people to Jesus Christ. And my father eventually ended up in Burkina Faso in the early 1960s. And a God sent a great revival in 1965 that my father was a part of that changed the lives of thousands of people in Burkina Faso. Why? Because David Olson was faithful to tell my grandfather who Jesus Christ was. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. How can they call on the one they have not believed in? And I asked myself, who's right here in State College waiting for you to share with them who Jesus Christ really is? Now, we're surrounded by churches. There's Christian radio stations. There's television stations. But I promise you, there are still people in this community desperately waiting for you to tell them who Jesus is so that Jesus can declare about you that you have beautiful feet. This week was the services for Billy Graham. Wow. America's preacher, man of integrity, humility, proclaimer of the word. I liked what his son Ned said about him during the funeral. Ned said, my father was fat. He was faithful, always available, and teachable. What a humble heart. For a man who had spoken to crowds of thousands of people. I liked what Kathy Lee Gifford said the week before, right after he had died. 
when she was interviewed on NBC, she gave a powerful gospel presentation. And she said these words, if you had the cure for cancer, wouldn't you want to share it? She said, we have the solution for the malignancy of the soul. It's Jesus Christ. Surely we're called to share it so that Jesus can declare about you and about me that we have beautiful feet. That's beautiful feet times one. When I share the gospel with my neighbor or you share the gospel with a neighbor, that's beautiful feet times one. But the Apostle Paul talks to us about people who had beautiful feet times two. And I want to go there just for a moment this morning because we're in this missions emphasis. Paul thanks the Philippian church for their faithfulness in supporting him. He talks about their partnership in the gospel. He says again and again they sent support to keep him focused on preaching the gospel. They participated and they have beautiful feet times two. They empowered Paul to have beautiful feet. Here in the book of Romans, where our text comes from in chapter 16, it opens with this beautiful tribute to the person of Phoebe. And Paul says, she has been a benefactor to myself and to others. She's been a supporter of those who have gone out and proclaimed the gospel. And Paul would say about Phoebe that Phoebe had beautiful feet times too. You, as a church, have been investing in missions for many, many years. You haven't met many of the people who have come to faith because you've sent missionaries around the world. But someday, Jesus will declare about you who have been faithful to witness here and send missionaries around the world that you have beautiful feet times two. Let me tell you about some of the missionary colleagues we work with who are great missionaries. Because Becky and I serve a team of 60 missionaries who work in 12 different countries of West Africa. But Dan and Erlene Ligon, how can they call on the one they have not believed in? Dan and Erlene have been serving on the eastern side of Niger for the last 25 years in a difficult place called Marathi. One day Dan was leaving Marathi, driving by a village, and the Lord said to him, you need to stop and plant a church here. So he stopped and he got out and he went and saw the village chief and he said, can we come and do a gospel presentation? And the chief said, no, we don't want to hear about your Jesus. We're Muslims. We don't want to hear about your Jesus. But Dan was convinced that God had called him to plant a church in that village. A few weeks later, Dan was leaving Marathi again, heading in towards Niamey, the capital city. And as he came to this village, there were people standing out on the road flagging him down. And he pulled his speed the light vehicle to the side. And they said, can you help us? A few minutes ago, a truck came through here and ran over a little girl. She's in very critical condition. Could you take her to the clinic in Marathi where you live and see if they can't help her? So he loaded the family in the car and he turned the car around and he began to drive back towards Marathi. And they hadn't gone very far, and he felt a tap on the shoulder. And the father said to him, Sir, said, there's no reason to go any further. The little girl is dead. The little girl is dead. Would you please just take us back to the village? That way we can avoid the costs at the morgue 
and the other costs in Marathi. And at that moment, the spirit quickened Dan and said, you need to pray for the little girl. So he asked them, would it be okay if I prayed for her in Jesus' name? And they said, that would be okay. So he reached his arm across into the back seat of that Speed the Light Land Cruiser that some of your youth paid for. And he began to pray. And I don't know what he prayed. I'm sure he was praying in tongues because when you're praying for dead people, usually you don't really know what to say. And he was just praying and crying out to God. He had his eyes closed because all good North Americans pray with their eyes closed. And he was praying. All of a sudden, he heard a gasp. And they began to say, hey, hey, there's something going on here. There's something going on here. And that little girl came back to life. Hallelujah. And today, there's a church in that village. Hallelujah. Because you empowered somebody to have beautiful feet where no one had heard the gospel before. But today, there were followers of Jesus Christ in that village. May the name of the Lord be praised. The second question, how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? How can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? Now, I just met Amadou not too long ago. I was in Mali at a project called the Watamanjana Project, and you've had Fauzi Arzuni here speaking at this church. Fauzi is a miracle himself, grew up as a Shiite Muslim in the city of Dakar, Senegal, and because Assemblies of God churches like this one sent Don and Virginia Corbin to Senegal. They encountered the life of Fauzi Arzuni, who in the midst of despair walked into that evangel temple in downtown Dakar and came to faith in Jesus Christ. He had to flee for his life, and he ended up in Mali. And while he was in Mali, God said, I'm going to bring you back here as a missionary someday. For the last 26 years, Fauzi and Linda Arzuni have been serving as missionaries in Mali. And recently, they've been reaching an unreached people group called the Malinke people. And Amadou came to work on the farm, the Watamanjana Project. He was a Muslim. In fact, Fauzi said he was a very strict Muslim. He never missed any of the prayer times. He would fast during the month of Ramadan. And he was always trying to get the other workers to follow Islamic law. But he said... What he didn't know was that every day when Amadou prayed, he was focusing on the part of, um, of the Arabic prayer that all good Muslims have to repeat. And he was focusing on that part where it says, Oh Allah, lead me to the straight path. Lead me to the straight way. Every day he was praying that. His heart was hungry. He was wanting to know God. And on a Morning when they were all gathered before they went out to work, Fauzi was leading in devotions that morning and he began to read the passage of scripture where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father except by me. And Amadou, Amadou said, the way? Who's the way? And Fauzi said, Jesus is the way. Amadou had been looking for the way, and he found it in the person of Jesus Christ, and he gave his life to Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Immediately, when Amadou went to visit his home village, he faced persecution. When they heard that he had left Islam and come to faith in Jesus Christ, they said, we're going to take your wife and your child away from you. 
His father took him to the door and said, you are no longer my son, leave. Amadou came back to the project and began to work. And through a process of a few months, he was able to invite his father down to visit. And I was there when his father visited. And on the last night before his father left, he said, your life has been transformed by Jesus Christ. I will no longer oppose you in your new faith. He said, I'm going to fight that your wife and your child be given back to you. Hallelujah. Amadou, how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? Waiting to know what the straight path is. The straight path is Jesus Christ who takes us into relationship with the Father. The third question. How can they hear without someone preaching to them? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? God doesn't want anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. That's for you and for me, but that's for every woman, every man, and every child on the planet. Oh, when Becky and I served in Lome, Togo, we had a great radio station called Radio Jesus Loves You. Isn't that a cool name? And here's the director of the radio station, Pastor Jimonu. One day he walked into my office and he told me this story, powerful story. He said, earlier this week, there was a woman out in the village, her name is Afi, and she was without hope. She was in complete despair and she left her village with a rope in her hands and she was looking for a tree that had a branch strong enough to hang herself. Walking the other way up the path was a young man listening to a transistor radio. Now, how many of you even know what a transistor radio is? They used to be things that you could carry and listen to the radio. Yeah, now you do it on your phone. But he's listening to his transistor radio, and in the middle of his walk, nature calls. Now, I would call that a divine bathroom break. <laughs> but in the middle of that, God called and he, so what he did was he didn't take his radio with him to the bushes where he was going to visit nature. He set it right down on the path. In the radio station that morning was an Assemblies of God pastor preaching on the radio. In the middle of his message, God interrupted him and said, this is the words you need to say. And right when Afi got to where the radio was on that path, the Assemblies of God preacher interrupted his message and he said, stop. You want to take your life, but God has a plan for you today. Stop. And she stood there glued to where that radio was until the young man came back from his nature call. And she said, What's, who are these people talking on the radio? And he said, oh, that's radio. Jesus loves you. Don't you know Jesus? And she introduced him, introduced her to Jesus that day. And instead of taking her life, she found life in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the message of hope. Hallelujah. Let me tell you about Madame Coley. Madame Coley was our first person to come to faith when Becky and I planted a church in the city of Yumbul in Senegal back in the mid-1990s. City of 100,000 people that had no church, none, not even a Catholic church. We went and because God called us to plant the church there and Madame Kohli was the first person to come to faith. She was the third wife to a Muslim man. In fact, she had been married to him for six months before she even knew he had two other wives. 
in the midst of that despair. She was walking on the street of Young Bull and we were out witnessing and one of our Bible school students began to witness to her about Jesus Christ and she came to faith. Fast forward 23 years, she's raised her children to be followers of Jesus Christ. On many weekends, she's out helping the poor and the suffering in the city of Yumbul. Why? Because Jesus wants people with beautiful feet to declare the message to those who have never heard. Finally, the fourth question is, how can they preach unless they are sent? How can they preach unless they are sent? Let me introduce you to my good friend. His name is John Walada. You can go to the next slide. Oh, the slides disappeared. No problem. John Walada, can't you see him? (laughs) John Walada was a Bible school student at the school of WAST when we were there in the about 2008, 2009. He walked into my office one day and he said, Pastor Randy, I heard you preach on missions today, and I believe God's calling me to go as a missionary. He said, where should I go? We prayed together, and we felt like God might be sending him to the country of Chad. I said, you need to go talk to your national brethren. He went and saw the national church, and they said, we're going to send you to Chad, but first we're going to send you to a Muslim village in the north of Togo and see how you do. So they sent him up there, and sure enough, within three years, he had planted a church And then the national church sent him to the country of Chad. And for nine years, he labored in the country of Chad, planted churches, and he's trained many Bible school students. And today, we're beginning to see a new movement amongst that Assemblies of God church in Chad. Why? Because the Togolese Assemblies of God sent a missionary to Chad who had a vision to make a difference in the country. How can they preach unless they are sent? My final slide was a picture of a man by the name of Hamza. Do you know Hamza? Does anybody know Hamza? Actually, I don't know Hamza either. But here's the story. David and Sharon Ferris were living on the eastern side of Chad, a little place called Abeshe, very hot place. David is in linguist, speaks perfect French, credible Arabic, speaks Chadian Arabic, and on top of that, he spoke Zagawa. He wanted to evangelize some of the villages, but his speed the light vehicle couldn't get there. And in the eastern side of Chad, if you hand out gospel literature, people are persecuted for it. He said, what can I do, Lord? The Lord gave him an idea that if he used many SD cards, because all over Africa, even in the midst of poverty, people have cell phones. And many of them have a little slot for a mini SD card. So he began to record the gospel on mini SD cards. And then he said, but I can't get to some of those villages, even in my 4 by 4 speed the light vehicle. So he bought a camel. And he would ride the camel out to some of these villages, and he would arrive in the village, and he said, I've got a present for you. How many of you have a cell phone? Then he began to distribute to them those SD cards with the gospel message in Arabic or in Zagawa so they could listen and hear. He'd been back in the States because unfortunately his family had to come back to the States. And he got a letter. And the letter said, hello, my name is Hamza. 
I listened to the gospel message on an SD card. Can you lead me to somebody who can help me grow in my faith in Jesus Christ? My question this morning is simply this. How many Hamzas, how many Hamzas are waiting for somebody with beautiful feet? I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet this morning. In just a moment, there's going to be a song sung. But I want to invite you to these altars this morning. What is God telling you? What does God want you to do so that he can declare about you that you have beautiful feet? What is God wanting to say to you so that he can declare that you have beautiful feet times two? Maybe it's a neighbor who you've never shared the gospel with before. Maybe it's a student that you go to school with who you've been reticent to talk to about Jesus. You, you know they're a fanatical Muslim or they're a Buddhist or they're a Hindu, but Jesus wants you to step out in faith so that he can declare about you that you have beautiful feet. Maybe you've never made a faith promise to support missionaries through this church, but this year God would be calling you to step out in faith. You say, well, my resources aren't big. Let me, let me tell you, when you step out in faith, God steps in and does incredible things. So as we're led in a song this morning, please come. Find a place of prayer and ask, say, God, how can my feet be more beautiful for your kingdom? Lead us if you would.